0: This is the Green Machine Podcast, Mon- Manager Monday special today, David Dunn's birthday special, isn't it?
1: Um I think it is. Yes, it is. And this is the, uh, the ultimate birthday present, Nick, is spending it with you when I could be laying on the coat, on the sofa in my box of shorts watching episodes at the bottom.
0: It's commitment to the cause, isn't it? You know? Mm-hmm. But, but with even better news than David turning 23 today, All right. Uh, Go on. <laughs> we are delighted to be joined by Sean O'Shea, who's the, who is the assistant coach at AIK. Now, a lot of Irish fans would be very familiar uh, with AIK yeah. because our own Zach Elbizetti joined them only a few weeks ago. Uh, Sean, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to Welcome. have you. Welcome.
2: Pleasure to be on, lads. And
0: you're certainly one of the more obscure coaches we've kind of come across in, in terms of your path to coaching, I suppose the story that you had you behind your coaching career and uh, just your current club Aik. You had a great derby win there yesterday in the in the Stockholm derby. Uh, we kind of yeah. spoke briefly off air about it. You're you're clearly buzzing. This is something that uh, it seems like a bit of a relief to you, but also uh, you're 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 clearly beaming from that result. How big was that for you, Sean?
2: Yeah, it was massive for us. I mean, it's uh, understanding Swedish football and, and and the rivalry in Stockholm. It's three three big clubs in Stockholm. There's us, there's Hammerby and New Garden, and the rivalry is fierce, you know, they, you have all the ultras and the firms and whatnot and always, you know, really sort of, uh, what's the word? I mean, the, the, the level of the games and, the, and the, everything around it, like the media circus around it and stuff, it's ramped up through the week before. And yesterday was special, like I was saying to your fair there, look, with the reduced numbers, the u decided not to allow any of our fans into the stadium for this derby and that didn't go down well with our fans at all. Um, what was great was that they came down to the training ground before we left, and uh, there was about a thousand uh, Aik fans in the road as the bus pulled out of the training ground was on the way uh, to the stadium, and they had all the pyrotechnics and flares and everything you know to show their support. So when we got there, it was um, yeah, it was like stepping into the Lions Den. There was eight thousand New Garden fans, and they absolutely hate us, you know, <laughs> and they were giving tons of abuse, like Seb and going out to take a corner, and they're throwing pints at him and they're throwing. <laughs> Whatever they can, spitting at him, they're swearing at him, they're insulting his kids, and all sorts. yeah Same with Mickey Lustig. And, and these guys are lads who just played for the Euros, and, you know, uh, for Sweden in the Euros. Um, so it was like a really toxic atmosphere for us, which made it even sweeter that we won. I mean, we beat them 4 1. They were top of the league going into the game. So we were third. We needed to win to, to creep up uh, or catch up on the points with them. And, you know, we got off to a flying start, which offset them. We scored quite early they then equalised after about 20 minutes and for the rest of the first half they were probably more on top they had a couple of good chances but we came out second half Seb Larson scores an absolute worldly free kick still at them <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah I mean he's unbelievable I mean like you remember him from the Premier League it's fantastic I think he's still the third highest direct set piece score in the Premier League wow. in the history of the Premier League I mean it's unbelievable yeah and we finished the game out 4-1 and, and the noise at the beginning when the fourth goal went in it was silent in the stadium and mm. The attendance went from about eight thousand to about two <laughs> thousand. That was that was brilliant. And the thing is, for us, it's great because what it meant to us, but what it means to the supporters. I mean, like the amount of people that are going to work happy today, and able to abuse their your and mates until the next day, is fantastic.
0: Probably a few sore heads around Stockholm this morning.
2: I would say so, yeah, yeah. I mean, the city's back in full flow and we've had great weather and stuff, so uh, it'll have been a great night last night. I wasn't out myself, unfortunately, but it will have been a great night, (laughs) out.
0: You're probably just not allowed to say if you're out or not.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it it was great, we could have done because um, the the manager gave us two days off afterwards, you know? Lovely. Uh, So we could have done, but my uh, my missus is pregnant and she's giving birth in two weeks. I'm on a one-point limit for the next two weeks.
0: (laughs) Very good, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exciting times for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm... Keeping quiet and a low profile at the minute.
0: Super, Sean, super, on your best behaviour.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Sarchan, how, how do you found life in Sweden? A
1: uh, bit of a difference from the north of England, I suppose. And how's everything been with the lockdown? And
2: I don't think you guys had a lockdown over there. Uh, you know, like I mean, in general, living in Sweden's fantastic. I'll come back to it probably later, but I spent a couple of years in the, in Norway, so I was quite accustomed to sort of Scandinavian uh, culture and lifestyle. But in terms of like COVID and stuff, no, we you know, it kicked in, obviously, for everybody beginning of last year. Uh, we were in pre-season, then that kind of shut down a little bit. The league, the start of the league got delayed, but we never had a lockdown. Um, we never wore masks. You know, wow. Swedish people are very like, they're very good at following the rules, you know. So whatever the government said in terms of guidelines, they kind of followed it. So it was reduced numbers, you know, in shops and on public transport and whatnot. But everything kind of carried on as normal because they didn't want the economy to crash. So... Mm -hmm. it didn't really change for us and the only time i felt the changes is when i've like come home to visit my parents down in may or if i've been to england to see you know friends and stuff where you know you're wearing masks and bars and restaurants and pubs and stuff out open so we've lived a very different covid to what everybody else and what you guys have had to go through for the last 18 months
0: yeah it's refreshing to hear sean a bit a bit of jealousy there i must say so you mentioned a couple of really high profile players, so Miguel Lustig, I mean Celtic fans, a lot of Ireland yeah. fans would be very familiar with him, Seb Larson, you know, play for Arsenal, play for Birmingham, play for Sunderland, and um Zach who we mentioned kind of at the start. And then you've got um, Alexander Milosevic. I think he played for Nottingham Forest under Mark. Yeah, I go over the
2: Forest a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so a lot of a lot of high profile players, but what was it that got you to Sweden? Because you had quite a I mean you were you're born Huddersfield. Um, yeah. You're involved in the Huddersfield under A setup at one stage, weren't you, Sean? Before you kind of went globe-trotting.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was weird. I was I was living in Norway. Like I, I was coaching in Norway, up in tromso which is like the far north. It's in, inside the Arctic Circle. Random place. Uh, so I was there for a couple of seasons as a number 19 coach, and then I went back to Huddersfield uh, for just over a season in the academy. So that's that's how I was back there and back in the academy because I played for the club as a youngster. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go to Dubai uh, as head of football, working for the Crown Prince, which was just an unbelievable opportunity. Um, and, you know, you, when you work in lower level of football, when you're in academies and stuff, you're always trying to find a way or a pathway to, to try and get you to where you want to be. Um, because it's really difficult if you're an academy coach, if you work with the under-16s or something, you could do that for 10 years and not move up. Because yeah. the way football works, you know, if you fear Manager comes into a club, he brings his own staff. Manager gets sacked, but the staff are still on contract. New manager comes in, wants to bring his own staff. So you kind of get a little bit top-heavy. So those staff that were the first team maybe get pushed down to the 23s or the 21s, whatever it might be. So there's always like a bit of a stock. So when the opportunity came to go to Dubai, I thought, I'm going to take it because I knew from meeting with the Prince and talking to him about what his plans were for the complex that he built, that it it would get me, or hopefully... Take me to the place where I could get, you know, to the level that I wanted to get
0: to. And it's not really a place that you associate with football, is it? Because I remember the, I think it was the 2003 underage World Cup was yeah. was in the UAE. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so, so in terms of football in the UAE, I know they have, um, they have a league there, and I know a lot of mm-hmm. high-profile players have gone over there in recent years. Because yeah. obviously the 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 pull with with the few bob that kind of comes with it is probably very appealing. Free
2: yeah. cash, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And you know, I mean, even even people from Ireland, you get a lot of teachers and doctors and I nurses love. going over. Yeah it's, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a no-brainer. So how's football developing over there at the moment, Sean? Because I mean, obviously we speak about you know the the finances that come into football, and I mean at club level it can be huge. And if we look at Qatar at the moment, their national team is certainly on the up. Mm. What kind of what kind of state is is um, I suppose I mean, UAE the, football in at the
2: moment? The, the UAE league, I mean, it, obviously it's not it's not a natural hotbed of football that you would think about, but it's a decent level. I mean, they play in the Asian Champions League, um, Al Ali or Shabab Al Ali, as they're called now, with the team that I was closest to because the prince owned that club when I was working there at, at, at Nas. It's a decent standard. I mean, like you know, they have a four foreigners rule, so. You can, you're allowed three foreign players and then one player from the Asian Federation. So that could be anywhere in the Middle East or, you know, Japan, Korea, Australia, etc. Um, but the local players are decent. I think technically they're very good. Tactically, not, not where like the Premier League might be or the rest of the teams in Europe. Um, physically or athletically, they're very fit because they're, they're playing in those kind of temperatures. And naturally, I think a lot of Emiratis are naturally quite fit that, that play in sports. So, the level's not bad. And, like I say, you know, Cannavaro was the assistant, or finished playing with Shabab Al Ali whilst I was there and then became the assistant coach. You've had players come over from the Premier League. And although it's laughed at a little bit because it is a bit of a graveyard, if you like, for the older players who come for the big payday, it's not a bad standard of football. I mean, to put it into context, Shabab Al Ali, they went, or most clubs in the UAE would go to Europe on their training camps. And I remember only a few years ago before I left, Alali went to Italy and they played against like uh, Atalanta, uh, Sassuolo, and Inter Milan, and, and got like quite decent results. They weren't right. they didn't go there and get humped, you know what I mean? Like mm. I think they drew with Inter at the San Siro, and they beat Sassuolo, and I think maybe they drew um, with Atalanta, so, something like that. So it, it's it's not a bad standard of football. Um, but that being said. The Premier League or, you know, us, for example, we're not going to be dipping into the UAE League to, to bring players over here, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially if there's kind of a, a quota on players because there might be that gap in quality be- between those four players and the rest of the squad. But it's interesting. And you must have learned a lot there, Sean, about, about yourself as a coach. And is there anything that you took back from from Dubai? Because, I mean, you would have, I suppose you as the individual would have gone over to incite the knowledge and to... to um, you know to, to bring your knowledge over there so yeah. is there anything that you took from there that that maybe use now in your current role
2: i mean it's a good question actually i mean i went over there as head of football at nas and my my role there was to bring the best clubs in the world to train there so they could yeah. promote dubai as a training hotspot if you like during winter and then also what, what kind of came off that was the individual coaching that you spoke about because once people were aware of the facility and it was the best facility i've ever been to and when Real Madrid came and Man United, even they would say, it's the best training facility we've ever been to. I mean, right. we didn't have a budget for anything. We just kind of built exactly what we thought we needed to, to get the best teams over for training and um, you know, conditioning work and rehab and recovery and medical and all that kind of stuff. But I also had a, a role with the under-21s at LA. And culturally, I learned a lot. Because what you had there was young players who weren't good footballers earning... Mm. I don't know, 20, 30,000 euros net month. They were driving around in like Lamborghinis and Ferraris, these young kids, you know, 21s. They would, they would come to training like the day before a game. They'd not been in all week. And you were like, OK, you're obviously not going to play tomorrow if you're not going to train all week. And you are like, why? Because like, this is a professional football club and you've not been here all week. But you tried to find the players. You couldn't do that. You know, their father was probably on the board of the club or something I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Push to play him. So it wasn't, it was a professional setup but it wasn't very professional. Was uh, there
0: any was there any pushback on that, Sean? Like, would there have been pushback, say, if there was someone whose father was on the board or if, if there was someone who maybe had a vested interest in this player? Would, would there have been any pushback on you? And yeah, might have that to have to been a barrier to, to to maybe um, encouraging that professionalism?
2: I, you'd have to play them. I remember once with the twenty oh, I... one. You know, kid, we played a game on the Saturday or the Sunday. We were off on the Monday. We came in Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. He, he didn't turn up. And then he turns up the day before the next game and his father's like friends with the president or whatever. And yeah, he has to play. Well, wow. like, okay, then I can't do this because this is not how I've been brought up in the world of football. Like I can't, can't and, operate.
0: And that, that probably, even in your current role, as you said, that, that probably teaches you a lot. And even, you might even, I don't know if you use those examples, you know, with with players, but it, it kind of... I have of, done, yeah, yeah. I have
2: yeah. done I I've Like the younger players that come through from the 19s who don't earn anywhere near that kind of money, I've told them mm. about it's great because it's a great lesson of how to be professional what professionalism is all about like it's one one great example you can use for do you,
0: do you think that's sneaking into english football with kind of younger players because there's this whole argument and, and an argument that kind of comes comes into the equation with a lot of irish players because they say that young irish guys go across to england
2: mm.
0: they're making a few bobs they're not making 30 grand a month but they're making no. a lot of they're making a lot of money for an 18 19 20 year old whenever you go pro And then all of a sudden they get very comfortable and all of a sudden there there mightn't be as many aspirations to make it to the top. So certainly a learning curve that that you saw in Dubai there, maybe not the same scale, but but have you seen that maybe even at your time at Huddersfield or kind of the younger lads when they start making a few bob?
2: The the problem in England for me is that the big clubs have so much money. They can afford to take a punt on a young Irish player that's coming up on the off chance that he might make it. And he might go on to play for their first team or they get to sell him for a few quid they can take that chance because they have the money. But when you're talking about player development, is that the best thing for a young player to do? Absolutely not. And I think, mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you guys have talked about it and I'm doing a pro licence at the minute with the FAI, and we've talked about it. There needs to be a better system for young Irish players coming through. I mean, you can use Zach, for an example. You know, went over to West Brom at a young age, you know, talented player, but didn't really get the chance to play, ends up going back to Ireland. And now his career is obviously, I'm not big enough, our club, but his career is taking that next step now, which yeah. is a great thing. Um, but there's so many young, promising Irish players that go over to England and just get stuck in the 23s or in the 21s. And it's not good for their development. Like There needs to be some kind of system put in place where they stay in the League of Ireland for longer so they can play regular football at a senior level and get the experience that they need. And then if they are good enough, then yeah, okay, then, you, then it's the time to take the next step, Mo- you know, go across the water to England and play at a higher level.
1: You feel Sean. Obviously, there seems to be a lot more players, Irish players, now taking almost the same route you've taken in, in your managerial career in your coaching career. But they're not just going to England. They're actually like that going to Sweden, and there's other players like Ryan Nolan. Um, he started off in Italy. He's now um he's now in Spain at the moment, recovering from injury. But there seems to be a lot more players now going abroad. I mean, that, that obviously we'd rather have a better system domestically in Ireland, but that that can only be a good thing, can't it? Especially yeah. wherever the Ireland manager is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a great thing. And I, I spoke to a lot of people about obviously Zach signing for us. And I think that that's that hopefully will be a really good example to show Irish players that England is not the only option. Of course, we don't pay the same money as England, but Zach's come to a big club. We play against teams like, you know, and Hammerby, Malmo. He's, he's playing with, you know, two of the best players that Sweden's ever produced, you know, week in, week out. He's training with them every day, playing with them. He's getting the experience and the learning from them. You know, hopefully we finish top three this year, so we're back in Europe, so he's getting Europa League, or if we win the league, it's Champions League qualifiers. I think it's a great step for him, and I hope I hope that it opens up the door to more players to be able to do the same and show them that it's not all about getting to England. It's about what's best for your development and, and what, that, what that development can look like. And I think if we can do it with Zach, if he can really... I mean, he started well, but if he can continue in the way that he has... Hopefully you can get him in the Ireland squad at some point in the senior squad if he, if he gets to the level that we think he can do. And it's even Kenny thinks he can do. Um, then it'll open the door for other players to be able to do that. And I think that is a better step for them.
0: I think years ago there used to be some kind of arrangement with the FAI. And I don't know if it was the Swedish FA or the league in Sweden. And they used to bring kind of a squad of League of Ireland players over. Yeah, they used to kind of trial. Now I don't know how many guys actually got contracts out of it. This is going back a good few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you have any say in in Zach signing for the club, Sean? The kind of Irish link, or or were were you aware of him kind of leading up to? Because because I mean he he's been knocking around a long time. And yeah. I mean as I mean I I support Bowes unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> you know I would have seen Zach a lot with with Waterford. But yeah. I suppose he would have come to the attention of Ireland fans playing for the the under 17s and the Euros. Yeah. And a lot of people were comparing him to Cristiano Ronaldo and so on. And then when he went over to England, naturally, Irish fans we just expect everything to click into place, and and it doesn't always happen. But 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 was the Irish link something that that maybe brought Zach to uh, Aik, Sean?
2: Yeah, I mean it certainly helped. I think um, our head coach Bartos he used to be with the under twenty ones with Sweden, um, before he came to Aik as the manager. So he he played against Zach a few times, and I think he scored scaling. against them, didn't he? Yeah, he did, exactly. Yeah. And he'd watched a lot of games scouting against him. And I was obviously aware of him being an island fan and, and Stephen Kenny when he had, you know, Kenny's kids and they were all doing really well in the qualifiers for the Euros and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I, I was aware of him and I'd seen him play, but I hadn't followed him so much. Uh, but then the manager said to me, can you find out about him for us and and, and, and see what the, what the deal is with him? Because obviously he was contracted to Link and he'd been on loan at Bolton. So... We spoke, uh, I've got a friend at Bolton, Chris Markham, who's like head of development there, or technical director, spoke to him, got a really good report. Spoke, spoke to a lad at Lincoln, again, glowing reports about him. And we we're trying to understand why he hadn't really kicked on uh, at Lincoln and why he'd been shipped out on loan to Bolton. But we got the, you know, the story back from them. And then uh, the manager spoke to Stephen and Kenny and I spoke to Stephen and Kenny uh, about a month ago. And everything was really positive. We brought him over. He, he trained with us for a couple of days, looked really bright, really fresh. You know, he's a really nice lad. Yeah. Uh, looks after himself. He's very diligent in the work that he does. And um, yeah, we said, let's do it, let's let's sign him. So it was initially from the manager, but then we all well, the rest of the coach and staff on myself, had input into it and did the research to get him in and get him over.
0: Can you see him getting an Ireland call up in the next little while if he progresses? Because I mean, he's he's kind of at, at that age now, he's not quite under 21 anymore. Stephen Kenny's familiar with him. He's yeah. playing for a massive club now in Sweden. He's playing with the likes of Michael Lustig and the likes of Seb Larsson who have international mm. experience. Possibility in the, the near future, do you think? No pressure I, I on mean, him?
2: I think, he, I think he can. Like He started really well with us. He, he came in um, the first two games. He was on the bench, obviously, because he, he'd missed pre-season in England and we were already kind of mid-season. So we took our time into building up. We didn't want to rush him in. So his first two appearances were off the bench, eight minutes the first time, and then a little bit longer the second game. And then he started the third game, had a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won 2-0. The derby the other day, again, he had a decent game. He came off 60, 65 minutes. But um, he started really brightly for us. And I, if he continues in the way that he has, I don't see a reason why he can't be in contention to play for the national side.
0: He's the type of player we need, I think. What yeah. do you think, David? Yeah. Like, flery? You know, we don't have many wide players. And not, yeah. not very technically good wide players, anyway.
1: Uh, no, I, I think one... We definitely be missing that. I mean, we, we said like Jack Byrne, haven't we? Someone play somebody can get in there and, and just do something different, create something in that final third for us. So we, we definitely need someone like that. Now it's wonderful to see him going because obviously he um, you know, to go and play in a massive game in a hostile crowd in front of 8,000 uh, fans, you know, behind enemy lines and give him a spanking four one, you know, that that's that's all part of the education in football isn't it God you know it yeah. you know it, it's but he'll take that now with, with him and uh, it's just fantastic like he's and hopefully we do get more players playing on the continent you know and take this the same route that you took Sean and you know England isn't the be all and end all of football exactly. you know especially with the Irish lads and you uh, know there's definitely there's definitely a lot more out there
0: yeah. I suppose with the Swedish league Sean I mean Graham Potter is probably one of the big. I yeah. mean, people talk about player exports, but well, Graham Potter is probably one of the biggest exports. The Brighton manager, from your point of view as an assistant coach, now I know after yesterday you're probably buzzing and you're you're you know you probably don't have any plans on leaving Aik anytime <laughs> soon. But but could you see yourself following in the footsteps of the likes of Grain Potter? Roy Hodgson came through the Swedish league, and um, Sven-Goran Eriksson came through the Swedish league. So. Are you happy being a coach? I mean, you spoke about how, how you're an individual coach as well as being, you know, an assistant coach. So it's quite niche. Yeah. But can can you see yourself uh, becoming a manager down the line? Would you see yourself going back to England or maybe going somewhere? I mean, you seem to like travelling, so you could go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll
2: go anywhere, yeah. It's not a problem. No, I, I do like, I mean, the, the the not the end goal, but the next goal is, is to be a manager. I think um, I've had various roles in football. Like I've done all the academy kind of stuff. I've been an under-19s head coach in Norway. Done the 21s in the UAE. And now I've been an assistant coach for three years. Um, and like I said, I'm doing the pro license and the pro license is all about becoming a manager. Yeah. Um, so it is it is in my mind for the future. Um, I mean, I love being at this club that I'm at now and the role I have is great. You know, I've good influence uh, and, and a good role with the with the manager and with the team. Um, and we haven't won anything yet. So my kind of goal in my mind is that to be here for... I mean, when I came, I set myself the goal of being here for at least five years and... Yeah. Um, and hopefully, we played Champions League qualifiers, and we lost to Celtic in the Euro. Yeah. yeah, I was here, which was an experience, but obviously disappointing for us. Um, but like for me, it's like finish the pro license, uh, hopefully win the league, I'll definitely get back into Europe, and then kind of see what happens, you know, in a year or two. But, but ser- the goal is to be a manager. Yeah,
0: certainly a goal there. Like you, you have it kind of mapped out really nicely. Would you yeah. like to manage? Would you like to manage your country, Sean?
2: Love to. Love to. I mean, that's the ultimate. I think for me, the, the, the two big ones like, I, I've always said that I want to be a manager of Huddersfield Town. That's my big, my big club ambition. You know, and then talking to people, it's like, what steps do you need to take to get there? And of course, I, like I said, I've done all the roles up to assistant coach now. So the next one is to be a manager. So I think for me, at whatever point it happens in the future, is to take a head coach's job, whether that's League of Ireland or, or wherever it might be, and hopefully be successful. And then that hopefully sets you up then to, to one day a bit of the town manager.
0: It's kind of funny, Sean, because, and David, you probably agree with, with me as well, there's so many talented Irish coaches out there, like Andy Reid. I know Damien Duff came and left.
2: Duff was fantastic. I, I know Damien, like, he's, I was with him a couple of weeks ago when I was in Dublin. Like it's unbelievable. But as a coach, he's unbelievable. He's I heard
0: he's, because when he was with Celtic, I can't remember who it was, but you might remember, David, but there was a quote. It could have been Edward, you know, the, the striker. And mm. he just said he was blown away by this Irish guy. Now he I don't think he knew who Duffer was somehow, <laughs> yeah. even though he won the Premier League playing the Champions League, playing the World Cup, but he didn't know he was, but he was blown away by this Irish guy. But it's funny looking at all these talented coaches. There, there's so many of them. There just seems to be an endless list of, of talented Irish coaches, and and it's hard to believe that they're they're not involved in our setup. Like like yourself, Sean. Yeah. I know I know I know it's difficult if you're involved with a club and it Can be difficult traveling back and forth, but it's it, it can be baffling when when we have so many talented coaches and very few of them are actually um, involved in the Irish setup. Lee Carsley's another example, he's the new 21 yeah, coach to England. of England.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw that. I think with with Duffer, Duffer's a huge loss, I think, to the to the senior side. You know, I, I mean I've known him for a good few years now, and obviously we we played against Celtic, like I said, and he was assistant coach, so I spent a bit of time in them. But I've seen him work uh, on the FAI conferences, he did a few sessions. I've seen him work at Celtic when they came over. Um, to Dubai and and knowing him and how he talks about football I mean he's for for a guy who's achieved so much in football he's very very humble about it like he just gets on with his with his job but he's a really passionate coach and he's fantastic at it and when he talks about going into coaching he didn't even think it was something that he wanted to do and then all of a sudden he started coaching and you know he got the buzz for it and he uses experience really well his sessions are very good he's great with players and I think it tells you a lot about him when he leaves Celtic to go to the senior side with Ireland and he leaves that because of whatever reason. Um, and now he's he's at Shells now doing the under seventeens, I think.
0: They're gonna learn a huge amount from him, aren't they? I
2: you mean know? it's just for those players, it's unbelievable. But that just shows you how much he loves coaching and he will put the same level of effort and commitment into those sessions with those lads as he did with Celtic or with the seniors. He does strike me as something
1: he doesn't suffer fools gladly. Would that would that be fair to say? <laughs> Definitely,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can see you coming a mile away,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: he seems such a genuine. Like, there's like even he was doing the punditry for for the Euros, and he's you know he's he's so genuine. Like he said, "What was it? What was it, David? It wasn't one of the games going into extra time. Was it the England game was going into extra time?" And they said, uh, Damien, do you think this game's going to extra time?" And he goes, "Well, I hope not, because I told my dad I meet him for a few points after the coverage." <laughs> 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 he's 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 a good lad. He's a good lad. But yeah, ho- hopefully. Hopefully, Sean, someday we'll see you in an FAI tracksuit. And even don't like go you know, over the
1: under 21s England job. Don't do it, Lee Carsley. Yeah, time. don't,
0: don't do it, Sean. We'd never, nah. we'd never forgive you. We'd nah. have to, we'd have to delete all of this. We'd have to delete yeah, all gra- of this yeah, footage, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. No longer call <laughs> you that. John. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it's, it's, it's pretty obvious you have an English accent, Sean, but you're, you're very <laughs> much an Irish man, and you very much consider yourself 100% Irish, really, you know. And even though you're a big Huddersfield fan, um, and yeah. we kind of spoke briefly off air the The kind of attitude towards the diaspora from Irish based people has it's, it's been a little bit grim in the last couple of months. I suppose Jack Reelish and Declan Rice have just reminded us that um, you know there is this whole idea that people can consider themselves two nationalities and that they they might want to play for one country and then there might be polls either financial or for other reasons that they might switch allegiances you were, you're very much against the switch of both these players, Sean.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like we talked about before or, or off the air before we came on, you know, there's not a problem if, if you feel that you're half English, half Irish or whatever you might be. There's no problem in that. But I think once you choose, once you start representing a country at national level, whatever age that might be, once you've chosen, then you've chosen Then for me. that That's how I see it. And you can't go all the way through the, the 17s, 19s, 21s and, and play a friendly games for the senior team and then decide that it might be better for me to play for England because there's a better chance of playing at a World Cup. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. I think like you choose to represent the country that, that you want to play from, that you feel proud to be a part of, um, and to then just go and play for England because it seems like a better ticket, it doesn't agree with me. And, You know, the lads get ripped all the time, you know, when they put stuff out about England and you see the the previous tweets that Declan Rice has sent out and Jack (laughs) Rea's Look, ultimately, it comes down to their decision. They're free to do what they want to do. But for me, it's like, you you can choose your club in a way. And if you play for a smaller club and you want to go to them, but you don't really choose your country, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you don't choose your country for the benefit of your career. Like, you you choose a country you want to play for and you play for. I suppose. That's how I see it.
0: Yeah, I suppose you'd have something in common with with Jack Realishon. Sean. You you played GA when you were younger.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played for the brothers' Pierce I I played Gaelic football the same time as I started playing football. It was mm. it was it was weird for us growing up in in Huddersfield because you don't really know what's going on when you're a kid. You just do whatever your parents tell you. <laughs> you know, they, they, the people you look up to the most are generally your parents, and they feed you all the information as a kid. But we grew up in a very Irish way in Huddersfield. It's you know it's. A lot, of, a lot of Irish people went over to England, as you know, and um, you know we we went to St Patrick's Church. It was nine o'clock mass every week. We were all the boys. We played Gaelic football. You know, every celebration was at Huddersfield Irish Centre. Everyone in your class at school was O'Shaughnessy or O'Sullivan or Kittrick or Fallon or Walsh or whatever it might be. And it was very strange, but you, you didn't know any difference. It was just normal for you. And it's only when you become a teenager and you start to realise what's going on, you kind of realise what you've what you've grown up in. But it's it's quite funny as well because you're told by your parents that you're Irish, but then when you come over to Ireland every summer and every Easter and Christmas and stuff, as you do religiously, and you come to see your family, when you walk in the door, it's like, oh, look, the English are here. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. But then when you're in England and you're growing up and you support Ireland, and if Ireland beat England at something, if it's the rugby or the football, you get absolutely hammered for being... <laughs> you're, not, you're not Irish, like you should be supporting England. But then when England when it's like, ah, oh, you know, they're giving you shit then because you're an Ireland fan and stuff. So it's quite confusing as a kid, but you just kind yeah, of... Yeah. It's just the way it is. Like. You don't know any different, and then yeah, it just is what it is as, as an adult because you've you've been formed in that way. Yeah, are, are your
0: are your roots Mayo, uh, Sean?
2: Yeah, well, Dad's from Cork and Mum's from uh, from Mayo. Yeah, but they live yeah. they live in Mayo now. Yeah, they've been back uh, 10, 11 years, and my sisters in Sligo.
0: I hope you don't follow Mayo Ga.
2: Yeah, playing Dublin out of Saturday. that
0: Saturday because that, that could be an issue, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we won't
1: talk about that till after. Well, it won't be an issue for Dublin, really, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. <No.
2: laughs> The curse is still alive and well for me, also. Well, I hope so, yeah.
0: Sean. I hope so. We all hope so.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: two dubs here. Sorry. <laughs> um, just wondering, Sean, how did you find? Now, obviously, uh, you said you've listened to a couple of episodes, other of episodes, and you still came on. So, fair play to you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the one of the things we spoke about uh, was obviously the the negative um, attitude towards English joining the Euros. Now, some has seemed a bit. Bit but from the Irish, some of it seemed like mm. a, you know, a bit of banter, a bit of crack, but some of it did seem very toxic and poisonous and almost, like, people have been waiting 20 years to sort of get this off their chest yeah. um, What what did you make of it? As as an English-born Irishman what did you did,
2: did, did you follow any of that? What did you make of it, if you did? I mean, the, bit, the bits that I followed, like, uh, you see stuff on Twitter and stuff, don't you? Like, um, I watch most of it through Swedish TV, but I mean I think if Ireland had been in the tournament, it would have been a different story. I think yeah. uh, I don't think it would have been as as negative towards England. So I, mean, I wouldn't say it's jealousy, but the, the the senior team around at the minute is not in a great place. You know, since Stephen Kenny's come in, we don't have the Roy Keynes and the Robbie Keynes and the John O'Shea's and and these kind of players playing anymore. So that that's probably like has a, an impact. Um, the banter side of it is always great because we, you know the banter is part of football. That's why we all love football because the banter's good, but I mean, it's it's not great when you see it go too far. But at the same time, it's like with, the, with England fans as well, it's like, like I said, my, my mates that are England fans, I I would be happy for them if England won the tournament, but it didn't matter to me if England won. I couldn't, I couldn't care less really. But for them, I would have been ha- very happy for. But England fans, they don't do themselves any favors either because like the riots and stuff and breaking into Wembley wasn't great. You know, they getting smashed before games and trashing like Trafalgar Square and Leicester Square and stuff like it, it doesn't promote like a positive image of them. And then the retaliation is that they get all the stick from, from fans abroad. Yeah, I was there, actually. I actually was working at the
1: final and I, I got home, I got out of there at about uh, five o'clock and I was like, what well, yeah. was that? <laughs> I was, as I said to Nick, they should have just burnt my way to the ground, started again Like I was walking, God was and. Fucking, and we were on the tube. Um, I saw one guy actually take it, actually go and have a, a slash in between the two doors of the tube. Brilliant, and, <laughs> and you're kind of sitting there looking at this guy, and he's like, Sorry, everybody, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> no problem, Bob. You crack on. It was carnage, it was carnage. I, I, what do you think? Do you think? Well, um, I mean, they're obviously going for the world cup in 2030. Yeah. Me personally, uh, you know, you probably heard how it's going on. I don't think we have a, I, regardless of the English um, shenanigans, I don't think Ireland had a hope in hell of getting anywhere near the World
2: Cup good. What about yourself? To qualify for the World Cup? But Not to host it. Not oh, to host the in 2030? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's difficult because you've got to look at the facilities, haven't you? I mean, th- what what facilities you know could Ireland offer really for a World Cup? I mean, you have the Aviva. I don't think would they let would, they, would the would the GAA let them use Croke Park? I don't think so. I don't know. That's always a hot topic, you know. When when Ireland played a few games there before, didn't they? Depends on what so,
0: uh, depends on what the GAA are getting, Sean. Yeah, well,
2: that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. A, million, a
1: million quid per game. Uh, that was back in two thousand and six. I'm sure it'd probably be a zero on the end of that. Now.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think. To have a joint one across, you know, uh, Great Britain and and, uh, and Ireland would be interesting. But I don't know what you guys think. But I wasn't a huge fan of the setup of this Euros that we've just had. I mean, it was all over the, you know, it's all over Europe. And I can understand it from a point of view why they did it, but it didn't work. I mean, look, England played all of their games by one at Wembley. It was like a home yeah. game every game for them. You know, it just didn't. It just didn't have that same tournament feeling that you normally get like when you think about italian ninety or usa 94 or euro 96 when it was all in england it didn't have that kind of feel about it
0: like part of the beauty is getting to know the culture of that country isn't it and i know like there is that argument that we we would have gotten to know the culture of several countries but i mean even look at the the olympics and i know that the japanese were very against hosting the olympics but you still got a, a feel for the culture yeah, and yeah. and and apart from the the whole idea of seeing different whole cities within one country, the whole cultural side and 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 getting immersed in in um you know in, in their culture is is something special. And and it wasn't really the same feel to it. I mean, we no, got invo- we, 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 we we got to see hooligan culture in in London, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, does <laughs> <is> it?
2: <laughs> but it wasn't the same for the players. He like talk to Seb and Mickey, you know. And they played uh, two games in Petersburg and a game in Seville, but. They were literally just flying in, played a game, fly back out again, yeah. train, fly out and fly back in again. So they were just all over the place. And when when they finished the tournament, I mean, they were 42 days in a bubble by the time they came back to Sweden when it was yeah. over, and they're not seeing their families. You know, they were in a bubble, and I think mentally they were just destroyed from it all. Like it was just a, it was always disappointing to go out in the last minute of extra time anyway. But yeah. they were just mentally broken from it, and it, it probably took them. They had a week off when they came back, but it probably took them two or three weeks to start feeling normal again from it. So it had well, a, a big impact, you know, even when it was over on players.
0: Yeah, it shows the player welfare, maybe wasn't considered there. Interesting well, one. Yeah. And funnily enough, the two lads should have played in Dublin because they yeah, exactly. in the, yeah, 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 yeah. The St. Peter's game games, St. Petersburg games were actually moved from Dublin. Yeah, because we were
2: talking about it before and I was joking with Seb saying like if Ireland qualified were in the same group, like to watch Ireland yeah. play against Sweden in Dublin would have been fantastic. Like, but yeah.
0: wasn't to be, unfortunately. Maybe next time, huh? Yeah, fingers crossed. Before we let you go, Sean, the current Irish situation, the current Irish team, Stephen Kenny and his, his kids, as you said, how do you feel about what's going on at the moment? Because there's plenty of mixed opinions. Results probably haven't gone our way. There's, there's certainly a division in opinion and opinion of fans. A lot of people, I suppose, on the green machine as, as a team, we are certainly Team Kenny, but we've come up against a lot of opposition. So how do you feel about the whole situation at the moment with the Irish national team, Sean?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously disappointing because they're on a horrendous run, um, you know, ever since Stephen Kenny came in. And he's it, coming at a time where, you know, Ireland hasn't produced the kind of players that we're used to having over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, which has been really disappointing. I think there's a lot of promise there. Uh, I don't have any doubt about Stephen Kenny's ability as a coach. You know, I think he's, he's been very, very successful with Dundalk and what he's done with, with them. Um, I think he's a really nice guy. I think he's really passionate and he's, he's, ta- he's tactical um, knowledge is very, very good, um, but it's the level of players that we have at the minute, and he's finding his feet in, in international football. I think he's got good staff around him. Like I said, Damien Duff was, I think, a big loss to him, uh, but Keith Andrews obviously in there, and Keith's a very good coach, and he's worked really hard to get to get where he is. Um, but I think the, the the bigger picture is that the FAI. Um, you know, they need to do what Germany did in 2006 and, and what England have done and put in a real structured development plan for the young players of Ireland who are coming through now. And I think it's difficult in Ireland because football isn't probably the biggest sport in Ireland. It's probably the second or third biggest sport. And yeah. when you have that that scenario, you know, you, you miss out on players. I mean, the population's not big anyway, but a lot of lads go to play guy, a lot of lads go to play rugby. Um, and so you miss out on, on your potential footballer. So there needs to be, it needs to be made more attractive to get into Irish football, and there needs to be a better development program from the FAI from a younger age, so that in you know, even though it seems like a long way away, that in like eight to ten years we are producing the next Roy Keane's, Bobby Keane's, etc., who are homegrown, you know, quality players who can play at senior level and can get us qualifying for tournaments again, because that's that's where we want to be. So I think for Stephen, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I think it's looked better over the last few games. Um But, you know, you've got good young players coming through, like, you know, uh, is it Dawson DeVoy now is coming through? Yeah. And, uh, he might
0: um, be one, He might be one um, getting onto the gaffer about, Sean.
2: <laughs> yeah, could be. It could be. I mean, I, we, we've, we've looked. And uh, Danny Mandrew, obviously, is yeah. doing really, really well. And um the thing is, it's interesting about not, not to go off topic, but, you know, we talked about like, bringing Zach in and, and the deal that we did for him. Um I'm not 100% sure on all the figures that were in it, but, for us to ba- go into the Alsvenskan, like into the Swedish league, and buy a top winger or a top striker, cost us. It could cost us a million euro or more. Yeah. You know, mm. but to go and get the, probably the same level of player in, from the League of Ireland, you could get them for half the price, but yeah. you're still get the same quality player and probably physically stronger and more aggressive kind of mentality because that's you know how Ireland is and now England is as well. Um, so it's interesting. So I, I think it could open the door, like I talked about before, but I think those players that are coming through now, and this is what we're saying, like Troy Parrott going to Tottenham and they're not really playing, you know, yeah. those players that show real promise need to play senior football regularly, get the experience, whether that's staying in League of Ireland or going to a, a lower club maybe playing in the Championship, so that the senior team can have um, a better sort of pool of players to choose from so we can be more successful.
0: Can I just say, Sean, as a as a member of Bose, um if you want to give us a few million for Dawson Devoy, we will happily <laughs> take it. No yeah, well actually we we won't. I, I'd actually be sad to see him go, but the, the, the few bob wouldn't wouldn't be too bad. It's certainly a, it's certainly bad. a springboard though. It certainly is a springboard mm-hmm. the, the you know the Swedish league. And you know, I I don't think Zach's gonna be the, the last one somehow, you know, because no. he, he he'll he'll be talking to to his friends. His ex teammates mm. and so on, and and I'm sure he's loving life there. Sweden seems to be oh, yeah. a lovely place to live.
2: Stockholm's a fantastic city, like in the summer, it's one of the best cities to be in. He's, he's loving it, like everything about it from so far has been brilliant.
0: Yeah, and it's great to hear how he's, how he's getting on so well. But Sean, it was an absolute pleasure, and we're, yeah, great. And, and, and I suppose, yeah. congratulations on, on the derby win, but also on, on your yeah. career because it's, it's a fascinating one. And Thank you. as David said earlier, if more players, never mind coaches, but if more players actually took the route that you did, not only would they have a, a broader education of the world, but they probably enjoy their career a lot more, you know? So yeah. yeah.
2: Just, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've seen some sacks. I mean, I've lived in four or five different countries now, so see different cultures, great experience and stuff. So you, And like I say, you do, you do bring it all together into your, into your work life. So Yeah. Hopefully it keeps on going now and like say I finish the pro license and we have a successful season here and then who knows what can happen in the future.
0: You could be back in Dublin, co- coaching could Ireland.
2: <laughs> could be, could be, you never know.
0: <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure, Sean. So I think you're three points off the top of the table at this stage. So fingers crossed you can you can catch uh, you can catch Malmo at the top there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, hopefully we can do. And when we win the league, we can uh, we can get back together and count for celebrations.
0: Absolutely. We'll we'll, we'll be there with you. you. You can get Zach to put in a good word for us, Malahide United, yeah, um, and all that. <laughs> Super. So, Sean, thanks so much, and David, Always. happy happy birthday. No better man.
2: <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, David. Enjoy the rest
1: of the day. I oh, will, Sean. I am not moving from my couch. Happy days, <laughs> <laughs> not moving from the couch.
0: So that's great. So we'll be back tomorrow, actually, folks, to celebrate Roy Keane's birthday. So two fantastic Irish legends, born one day between only a couple of years between you, really, David. But but you know it all. It all works out, really, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, just the thirteen years. Well, you know, you know. Um, obviously, there are a lot of comparisons to myself and Roy Keane. Obviously, both have receding hairlines. Uh, both torn in August. That's about it, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, fantastic opinions
1: amazing i have I mean, to suppose. say
0: i have to i have to be nice him today sean it's his birthday
1: yeah what, 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 i'm a bit unnerved by this what are you asking nick no you're nothing, not nothing. you're not, not this nice no, i
0: never have an agenda david so don't don't start that now i'm just being nice you're a your united birthday. fan
1: i don't i don't trust the word that
2: comes to
0: <laughs> your mouth uh but look happy birthday and t- to everyone else all the listeners take care and thanks again sean all the best, best
2: that's good to talk to you
1: Cheers, John. Cheers, John. Awesome. No man, I really appreciate. it. What's, what's your plan?